Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the On the Forecheck podcast. It's kind of been an interesting week and a half for the Nashville Predators. Uh, we're we're going to break down a lot of whole whole lot of stuff. It's It's been a whole thing for the Preds. Uh, hey, anyway, introductions are in order. I'm Nick Morgan. I am a writer at On the Forecheck. And as always, I am joined... By the Miko Rantanen's helmet to my Matthias Ekholm, Sean C. Smith. Sean. Mm, yeah. Hey, Nick, what's up? <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, jeez. That's Give me a break. Like, like I said, there is going to be a whole thing with the National <sighs> Predators today. Speaking of, we also have a Gabriel Landeskog in our hosting equation today. Uh, Sean, really excited about this guest. John Howard. You might yes. not you might not know the name, but you have definitely seen this guy before. He is the basis of Small Time Rock Stars, the basically the band that performs at every intermission at Bridgestone Arena. Uh, this guy, Sean, has a wild wealth of stories. I, I'm I can't explain to you how excited I am to have John on the show. How how fired up I am to get to talk to him, and I, I just. You know, it's one of those things where you go to the games, no matter how long you've been going to the games, and I mean no matter how long you've been going yeah, to the games. Yeah. There is there. a yeah, if you've if you've been there since the start, or if you even went, you know, the first couple of seasons and never come back again, there's still a pretty strong chance that you've been at a game where John Howard has played the bass. And so you think about someone that has been affiliated with the team as long as he has, he's going to have some incredible stories and I can't wait to help you hear them. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. Like we said, even if you don't necessarily know the name, you are going to want to listen to this. Uh, A lot of great connections. And the dude is like an encyclopedia of Fred's knowledge. Uh, Because obviously that happens when you go to every game for 20 years. Uh, So excited to talk to him. Uh, but we got to get through our peas and oh, carrots before we yeah. get to it, Sean. Uh, yeah. What what happened to the Nashville Predators? Eight one and one for a while, and all of a sudden, uh, they fall off hard. A rough stretch uh, that included bad losses this past week to Las Vegas. A rough loss Saturday night to Colorado. Kind of oh. sandwich between an okay game against the New Jersey. Uh, I mean, I mean, yeah, it's a little disheartening, I guess, Sean. Uh, a little disheartening, yeah. But again, you know, okay, you say an okay game sandwiched in between the two tough ones, like against the Devils, for example. You know, the Predators should do very well against the Devils. And it's it's like we said before, the Predators should have done really well against Montreal 
Um, yeah. And they didn't. And it's one of those things where I'm encouraged by the fact that they're making the easy team look easy now, but I'm a little discouraged that they're making the teams that are pretty good look even better. Um, yeah. You know, and I think there's reasons for that, but um, what, what would you say? What's, what's been the biggest issue in, in your opinion, Nick? Okay. Well, first, I don't want to make an excuse, but I think it's, we would behoove ourselves by mentioning some context to this. Uh, the Predator schedule in November has been more drunk than Aunt Kathy at Thanksgiving. Uh, not only do you have a stretch of eight road games in nine days, only one home game uh, at Bridgestone in the month of November bef- before November 22nd, yeah, uh, and and then you have the whole thing where you play at Bridgestone on a Friday night, and then a four-hour flight to Denver to play a game the next night. Uh, it's it's a little bit of a hodgepodge, Sean, and that's why I don't want to make too much of a thing about this particular poor stretch until we have like maybe two more weeks when we get back to a normal schedule. So I do just want to mention off the top that I do, I do think this schedule plays into maybe the predators looking a little bit out of sorts. Yeah. You know, they're road weary, I guess you could say, and, and sure, definitely take into consideration the fact that they played Friday night in Nashville, hopped on a plane got off the plane in Denver and had to play again the next night. And yeah, here's the thing about, about that. And and maybe, maybe this isn't as big of a deal as I would like to think it is. And, and maybe it is, I don't know. But when you go to Denver, when you're in Colorado and you're high in those Rocky mountains, you can get a little bit of what, what's it called? Uh, elevation, atmosphere, sickness, something like yeah. that. Oh, that's um, the other thing. It's, it's like the Colorado, uh, at ad- the altitude takes like a couple of altitude sickness. There we go. You know, yeah, I, I I didn't really think about this before because the way I'd always heard it was like, Oh, well, it takes you a little bit to get used to it. Um, And, and I, I don't want to say that what my friend's experience was is, is, you know, the law, but when I heard a little bit to get used to it, I thought maybe like an hour and a half, three hours was kind of my guess. My friend who who just moved, or he didn't just move, my friend who's been living in Colorado, I asked him, you know, is it really that big of a deal? Um, And he was living in Aspen. He said, yeah, it took him about 11 months before he could feel normal. And, and And it's, again, that's probably on the long side. But when you're looking at it in that context, flying in for a game and then leaving, you don't have a chance to get used to it. You're sucking wind the whole time you're there, even just getting off the plane. Yeah, so I mean, I'm I'm sure there's a factor. Yeah, I mean, and it's like obviously the Preds are not the only team in the NHL who's played a game at Colorado. Uh, right. I'm not saying that's the main. I'm not saying that's the main reason. I'm just saying, hey, let us kind of acknowledge the fact that this is a very weird schedule. Sure. Um, you know, going back to what's been wrong with the Preds, uh, the same thing that was wrong with the Preds when we talked two weeks ago, and that's discipline. Uh, because yeah, I mean, the Preds are now in the bottom three teams in the league when it comes to the number of penalties taken. Uh, and you know, you can dance around it when you're playing teams like Vancouver or 
Montreal or, um, you know, Chicago or Dallas, you know, some of these teams that have struggled this year, it is a whole different ball game when you're playing against Toronto, who is a top power play when you're playing against Vegas and Colorado, who are pumped with all kinds of offensive juggernauts. Uh, and that's been the Achilles heel this season and not just in terms of penalties, but discipline overall has kind of been a sore point for the Preds this year. Yeah. And you know, the penalties thing, it's, it's not new. I mean, they've been in the bottom five or top five, I guess, of, of penalties per game for pretty much the whole season. It seems like, so, you know, if if you're going to, if you're going to play on the edge and you're going to create a lot of, a lot of penalties, you're going to have to shut it down and you're also going to have to not let it shake you um, for the rest of the game. So you, you commit some penalties, the other team gets a power play, you let a goal in, you can't get in your feelings about it. You got to keep pushing forward focused instead of, you know, losing your mind over that and, and getting off in the rest of the game. It's just, it's not, I don't know. You can play that way. You can take those penalties but you have to have a good penalty kill and you have to be able to stay focused mentally afterwards to be able to keep moving forward in the game. Yeah. I don't think any of those things you mentioned are things the predators have been doing over the past two weeks. No, Oh no, they, they haven't. And that's, you know, that's the issue. And I think that's something that, that the coach has uh, talked about, you know, long, long before this season is he wants the team to, Focus on controlling what they can control. And so, you know, if you can control the penalties, control them. If you can't, focus on controlling your reaction. And that's not really what I'm seeing either. You know, it's what here's kind of an interesting segue into another thing that I've seen this year. Uh, Sean, it seems like the past couple of years, what have what's been the biggest problem for the Preds? Are, their, are we... their, their top guys aren't. Yeah, Yeah. but the Preds had been good because you'd have like the random third liners come in and, you know, put in some big scoring performances. Right. Like the the Craig Smith, Nick Bonino and Rocco Grimaldi thing from a few years ago. Uh, You know, Yarn Croak had a big season last year. The depth hasn't been there on the score sheet this year for Nashville which is funny because the top end talent is finally scoring like top end talent. But I mean, you look, you look kind of down the Nashville stats this year. I mean, Luke Cunning is, even though he scored the other night, uh, really kind of an off year so far. Uh, Ellie Tolvanen, even though he's played well, only has one goal in 21 games, which I don't mm. think anybody was expecting. Um, you know, even somebody like, you know, Trenton and Janot, uh, and Nick Cousins, you know, guys who kind of got off to pretty decent starts, haven't been finding the score sheet. So the they're they're not the scoring is obviously there from like the likes of Duchesne and Granlund, uh, and you know Yossi and Johansson, which is which is great. That's that's great. We all thought that was going to be the thing that helped the Predators get back on track. Except the thing that's been carrying the Predators for the past couple of years, which is their depth scoring. Uh, not really a thing this year. So is that a concern or is that just a matter of maybe they're just going to get hot later on? You know, it's, it's a concern for me and not, not like a, you know, the sky is falling type panicky concern, but just the, the, the hard reality that last season 
the depth scoring was a big deal on the team. And a lot of it came from this really incredible next man up mentality that the team had, had kind of taken on. And I think a lot of that next man up mentality came from the fact that the guys that were coming in and performing, the guys that were coming in and scoring were guys from the taxi squad. These were guys that were, they were traveling with the team. They were ready to go at a moment's notice. And oftentimes they were called in and oftentimes they performed. And now you're seeing a lot of those guys on the main roster night in and night out. And not that they're not playing well, but there's not finishing. And if you told me at the beginning of the season that at this stage in the game, at 21 games in, Tolvanen would be on pace for just a little bit under four goals this season, I would have told you you were insane. Right. Absolutely I mean, we all, crazy. We all picked him as a guy who was going to have, like, be, you know, the, be the next Preds 20 goal scorer. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, man, I don't know. It's, it's bizarre. Yeah. Um, the thing about Tolvin is he's, he, it's not like he's playing awful. Like he's doing, and, you know, it feels like we're going back to this trope with somebody every single year, but he's doing all the right things. He's just not scoring. He's playing defense well. Um, you know, he's, he's killing penalties. He's putting a lot of pressure in the offensive zone. He's just yeah. not finding the net, which is something that you kind of need him to do. Yeah. And I, here, you know, think about it this way. Would you, we've been saying that about guys like Duchesne, guys like Johansson for a couple of seasons. Would you rather be saying it about them or would you rather be saying it about Tolvanen right now? Uh, I, honestly, I'd rather be saying it about Tolvanen. Yeah. Okay. But given that, you know, there's also nobody else there who's doing it. It's Cunnan's not doing it. Cousins isn't doing it. Janot's not doing it. Sissons isn't doing it. So I know there's others, but. I just named guys off the top of my head, but there's no one else that's coming in and providing that supplementary scoring or that complementary scoring um, to, to really boost this team up. You know, the team was successful last season because of depth scoring and the absence of top line talent producing this season, the top line talents producing, but that's it. And you're finding Uh, yourself in about the same place standings wise. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's something that needs to change. Um, speaking of something that needs to change, uh, Phil, Phil Tomasino, uh, looking at the way he's being used now, uh, should he still be on the roster at this point or should he be in Milwaukee? Um, you know, I really think that every player and I mean, every player can benefit from some time with Carl Taylor. Um, I don't I don't think it would necessarily be a bad thing if we're seeing him playing on the fourth line, if we're seeing him getting which uh, we really, absolutely are. Absolutely are seeing that, getting low minutes. Um, it doesn't make sense. Um that I don't think that's his intended or expected role at any point in the future. So um, you know, but I, I'll say this, even though he's playing in that spot, we're still seeing a lot of opportunities where he is with the puck alone in front of the goalie um and he's not capitalizing on those chances but it's Mm -hmm. it's odd to me that in spite of limited minutes you know a different different spot in the lineup you're still seeing him find the puck and finding it away from everyone else and having a chance and you know the difference there is you know probably comfort and uh getting used to things and just be, be, you know, finding that being a normal situation for him instead of like, Oh my goodness, I'm in the NHL and I'm alone in front of the goalie with the puck. 
Um, you know, that could be someone that if he can get a little bit more comfortable, can start being one of those supplementary scorers that we're looking for. But is it going to happen on the fourth line? Probably not. Yeah, that's my thing, too, is, you know, if if you're going to put him in situations where he might be able to display some of that skill, then that that's good. Like, the thing is, I, I don't necessarily look at, you know, the time on ice stat as much as I look as to where those minutes are coming from, how they're being used. And, you know, earlier in this year, like, Tolvanen was only getting – or not Tolvanen, I'm sorry, Tomasina was only getting something like – 12 minutes a game, but he was out there a lot on the power play or he was taking yeah. big offensive zone faceoffs in a tie game. And you think, okay, well, you know what? He's not out there every shift. He doesn't need to be, but look, the Preds are putting him in situations where a, not only can he be effective, but B he's kind of playing in a situation that the Preds hope to find him in long-term. Um, and that that to me is what I is the reason I brought up the question is because I don't see that kind of in the past handful of games. Uh, and you know, he only played around nine minutes uh, again in the Vegas game. Um, and then, you know, kind of has steadily been around 11 minutes, 12 minutes a game. And look, you know, it's a rookie and he's still developing. And I get that. Um, and you, you certainly don't want to rush a player in before he's ready, but you also have to look at the difference between, you know, a player like Tanner Janot when he came up here last year and what Philip Tomasino is right now. And yeah, you can, you can put Tanner Janot out there on the fourth line for, you know, 10 minutes a game and just have him run ramp shot because that's the type of player Tanner Janot is. Philip Tomasino is a guy you think is going to be a high-end playmaker who right now weighs like 180 pounds soaking wet. Um, yeah, you're you're not going to get the same type of development, you know, just just running fourth line minutes with fourth line guys as you would playing in, you know, power play roles, playing in top line roles playing next to, you know, a team's best scores. And so that to me is like, okay, you know, if this is the trend, I would personally like to see him in Milwaukee. You know, and I think, I think the best reason for that, you know, like you said, you want him in the role he's going to be expected to be playing in in the future. But I think too, you know, with what we've seen out of him getting those chances in the NHL, you put him at the AHL, he's going to get those chances and he's going to take advantage of them. He's going to capitalize on them. And when he comes back to the NHL with some confidence, he's going to capitalize on them here as well. Yeah. I mean, look at Rocco Grimaldi in Milwaukee, who is suddenly looking like one of the best players in the entire minor league system. You know, you know, sometimes it's sometimes just playing there helps when you're getting 19 minutes a game and getting an opportunity to kind of not have a leash on you and go score. So, and you know, who else is looking good in Milwaukee? Carl Taylor. Well, yeah, but I mean, obviously, oh no, Co- your, your boy, Cody glass, Cody glass. So a- AKA know. the guy you would like to see centering a line with Phil Tomasino in a year or two. Yeah. And you know, I, why not? If, if we wanted to send Cody Glass down to kind of get 
get his uh, sea legs again. Um, you know, why not, now that it seems like he's performing at about a point per game, bring him back up, send Tomasino down, and let him have a turn, if that makes sense. I don't know. I mean, that's, I'm no I, general manager. No. I mean, but what you said makes a lot of sense. Uh, sure. This is, this is why all GMs should have a podcast. Uh, December 16th at Bridgestone Arena, the Predators play Colorado again. Uh, do, do you, Sean, expect any sort of follow-up from the whole Gabe Blandiscog, Matthias Eckholm, Miko Rantanen, Helmet Gate situation? You know, honestly, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be really honest with you right now. I don't yes, expect sir. any follow-up. I don't. And, and I'm going to tell you why, okay? Um, yes, I have been mad online for a while. I'll, uh, I'll go ahead and admit that. I've had a lot of people yelling at me, saying terrible things about me, calling me Peter Pan, telling me I'm soft, comparing me to the great Phil Kessel. I'm not really sure what that was about. Do you like hot well, who doesn't like hot dogs? Yeah, that's that's a horrible thing. But but continue. That's continue. gracious. Yeah, I mean Stanley Cup champion Phil Kessel. Anyway, here <laughs> here's the thing. Um, you know, let's say this first. Did Eckholm need to rip the helmet off and throw it? Are Are you asking? Yeah. Oh no, of course not. No. Was it kind of funny? Yeah, of course it's funny. I mean, does it kind of make him look like a jerk? Yeah, and and here's okay. and here's can I like follow that up with one more thing? Sure. If you were an Avalanche fan, would you have loved that? See, I don't know. Here's here's my thing. Where I come from, if you're gonna fight somebody, they need to know they're involved in the fight. Are you saying Ekholm wasn't? Uh, what do you mean in the fight with with uh, Landeskog? Here, here's my thing. Tell uh, me your thing. I, I don't think like I'm not going to go out the limb and call what Ekholm did dirty. I think it was kind of a dick move. Oh, um, I agree. But here's the thing, like, and I look at it from this way: if Matt Duchesne was like scrapping with somebody along the boards. And somebody like Eric Johnson just ran over and, you know, grabbed Duchesne by the ear hole, which if you've ever played hockey, that's uh, that that does twist your neck a little bit. Sure. Um, And rip the helmet off and Matthias Eckholm or Mark Borvietsky or somebody just went over there and just started pounding the crap out of Eric Johnson for kind of like twists in the head of one of your best players. Yeah. As a Preds fan, I would be like, damn right. Hockey justice. Like, Hey, if you, if you didn't want to get your face beat in, don't start crap along the boards or don't, you know, don't rip off our, one of our best players helmets. Um, so that's, that is how I would look at it. That, and that's how I'm like trying to look at just as a neutral thing um, I, you know, it is what it is and whatever, but I'm not like, you know, chomping at the bit for Landis Cog's blood over this. No, no, I'm not either. I think the thing you, you said to me is as, as a fan, if it had been the other way around, would I have thought it was awesome? 
yeah, sure, I would have been excited. But then when I, I think once you realize that Ekholm is not engaging in this in this fight, mm-hmm. I think that's when you say, yeah, dude should have waited till he had his gloves off or something. I mean, give him a fair chance. I just think, you know, I, I, I grew up in California on the mean streets. And yes. the biggest, my biggest fear throughout my childhood, um, you know, especially once Air Jordans came out, was getting jumped, um, you know, and that I think the reason for that is when you get jumped, you don't know it's coming. And I think, you know, it's it's a cowardly way to do something to attack somebody who's not ready to engage in combat. Um, you know, if that's if that's what you want out of your your captain, if that's what you want out of your team, that's that's fine. But for me, I don't want to see anybody involved in an actual gloves off fight that isn't a willing combatant in it. And you say, well, a lot of people have said, and I'll go ahead and, and say this. They said, well, if you didn't want, if you didn't expect to get your face beat in, then, then you shouldn't have ripped the guy's helmet off. And I, I don't know. I don't really know that I agree with that. You know, if you, if you wanted to fight and you thought, Hey, I'm trying to fight somebody to rip this guy's helmet off. I'm going to fight whoever comes at me. Give me a chance to throw my gloves down. And that's, that's how I see it. But I, apparently I'm in the minority here and that's fine. I, I don't mind being in the minority. I just, I like my fights fair. Yeah. Well, I mean, also, uh, Matthias Eckholm had like three inches and like 20 pounds on Landis Cog. So the fact that he didn't fight back, uh, yeah, I mean, come on, come on, Matt's like, well, you should have dropped him. You, you should have dropped him. He, he uh, should have, but I you know, also say this too. He may have had him in such a good enough grip that he knew he wasn't going to have a chance to do anything anyway. And and I think, you know, if you know your beat before you start and you can avoid getting the five-minute uh, major, then maybe don't get the five-minute major, you know? And it, maybe yeah. that was a smart move on his part. Yeah. I'll, I'll take a couple of shots. They'll stop it. I'm not even convinced that um, that cut on his forehead, That I feel like that may have come from one of the official skates. Um, yeah. So they went to, they went to pick him up, but, uh, you know, it, here's the thing, (sighs) maybe a smart move on his part, not to engage because he already knew he was going to have no chance at it. And that way it's just a, it's just a two minute penalty. It's a minor penalty. It goes away pretty quickly. Um, you know, the, the, you know what the worst part about all of this is, if you really want my real, it's been about 24 hours opinion on this. Let's hear it. They couldn't capitalize on the three-minute major power play. I was going to bring that up. They got away with it. And not only that, but like Ranton and scored immediately after that. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that's that's the thing is we've talked about that earlier. You know, if you're going to play on the edge and you're going to play that style of hockey, you have to be able to take advantage of the opportunities you have. And they did not do that. Um, and I think that's, you know, that kind of sealed their fate at that point. It was game over. You know who I would like to fight? Uh, everybody, at Br- everybody at Bridgestone arena, every dumbass who booed PK Subban whenever he touched the puck. Yeah. What was that? I mean, I can tell you what that was. Um, but I'm sure we will get a lot of comments for me just coming out and saying it's probably a bunch of racist people. Yeah, well, um, you wouldn't want to say that. No, of course not. Uh, you know, I, I would not want to say people booing him were racist. 
No. That's that's not, not something I would ever want to say while we were recording a podcast. No, you don't want to say that. No. Uh, listen, no. I mean, so we, because both you and I were, were doing social media for that game, uh, mm-hmm. you on your account, me for on the forecheck, and we were just like, we legitimately ask people, like, why are you doing this? Yeah, please and, tell me. Yeah, and if it's just one, you know, I was expecting, like, oh, well, you know, he's slew-footed a couple players in the Devils or blah, 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 blah. But the reasons we got make no damn sense. No, none. Like, he was like, I was expecting, oh, well, you know, I kind of thought he's overrated now and, you know. Blah, 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 blah. No, it was, oh, he was a cancer in the Nashville locker room, which, no, he wasn't. No. You know, then it was like he cared more about his his Instagram than he did helping the team win. No, he was the best player on the, arguably the best player on the team for two of the three seasons he was here, um, at least during some of the postseason stretch. And then it was, oh, he was overrated. He didn't do anything. We lost the Shea Weber trade. He was, A, he got to the Stanley Cup finals. The next year, he was a Norris Trophy finalist. (laughs) Like, I think he actually finished second in voting that year. Maybe third. Um, Whatever. Doesn't matter. He didn't win. But, yeah, I mean, it was like the, it's, they're acting like, you know, this was like some, like, grandiose thing. Um that like, oh, you know, P.K. Subban showed up to Nashville, burned the the locker room down, a la uh, Eric Howla in Carolina, apparently, according to the fan base there. Um, and then and then just moseyed on to the next town. And it's like, no, uh, first off, nothing. There is there is nothing we have heard from anybody. You and I both have sources. Nothing we have heard from anybody that indicated that P.K. Subban wasn't one of, like, the most well-liked guys in the locker room. In fact, you know, a lot of, like, the coverage and stuff, and everybody's like, oh, well, you know, P.K. Subban's the guy getting all the coverage. From what we've heard, like, the players actually love that. Yeah. Because then it was like, you know, guys like Yossi and Forsberg and Johansson kind kind of go out there and just play hockey without having this massive, like, media spotlight under them right and then the other thing is just like all all the wonderful off the ice stuff he's done uh what he's done in his community he's still um you know some of the work he does is, is still going on here he's still very active in his charities here um you know so it's not like he just burned the city to the ground and was like peace out and you know he didn't even like ask to get traded or bailed on his contract or anything like that Nope. The the Preds traded him for salary cap reasons. Yeah. Plain and simple. Yeah. And, you know, I, I would be willing to say, you know, you said two of the three seasons he was here. He was arguably one of the better players on the team. That other season, you know, there were some underlying back issues that I feel like it took some time to actually get resolved. Um, and you can't, again, fault a player for that. I don't I don't understand the booing. And, and you know, I, there's nothing that I can say that's just not going to be repeating what you said. So let, let me try to move this in a different direction then. Um, when the Preds were playing against the Avalanche, it seemed like all of the fans in Colorado booed Matt Duchesne when he had the puck. 
Do that, you have a problem with that? No, because that one makes a lot more sense than Boomerang and Nashville. And that's the thing, is it makes a lot more sense for me. I have no issue with that. I mean, you know, and that's the thing is, it's funny because we're we're talking about a player that is on the current roster of the team we are covering. Yeah. Going to his old town and, and being booed by the fans. And we're saying, yeah, I get that. Yeah. He wasn't happy there. He wanted out. He made no secret of it. They, you know, it, it ticked off the fans and they're booing him. I think that's fine. I don't think it hurts Matt Duchesne's feelings. I don't think there's any love lost there. You know, I think it's just like, yeah, well, I'm out. It's what I wanted. Everything's fine. You know, uh, but then at the same time, we're having to defend a former player um, from the team we're covering when he comes back by being booed by, by our own fans. And it just seems, gosh, I just, man, I can't figure out why. It just doesn't make sense. No, I mean... I'm sure there's something like we hinted at earlier. I'm sure there's something yeah. a little bit deeper there. There's something we're missing. I talk, I talk they're talking about Subban probably the same way uh, people talk about. God, I don't even know a good equivalent of that. Yasiel Puig, maybe. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I don't. I don't know who you compare PK Subban to. Just, just with his whole vibe going on. Uh, you know, you know superstar. Him. He's he's. I think he's an enigma in the NHL because he's good at hockey and he's got an incredible media focused personality. That's you don't get a lot of that. You know, the bad thing is a, a lot of a lot of your higher end players aren't super exciting. Um, I mean, how many more tours of Connor McDavid's Bland House do we need before we realize that? Right? Yeah. Um, they're just not. They're not media ready they're not media darlings yeah they put on a hell of a show on the ice i'm never gonna say they don't do that but then when you talk to them later on it's just kind of like all right thanks buddy you just keep practicing being really good we'll uh we'll talk to somebody else now just don't give you a lot suban gives everything all the time on and off the ice so is uh connor McDavid, is connor mcdavid's bland house a uh, new coffee flavor <laughs> you know if, yeah, if he was a little more yeah he's a little more media savvy he should do that yeah if you just you just see the commercial where the kids are running down on christmas day <laughs> giant white void <laughs> that is his hallway it's like where's the tree no here's a minimalist coat rack with with pipe with black pipe cleaner I think I think we're onto something. I feel like this is our cue to the, probably we should we should get to John. Oh, I think it's a good idea. I think <laughs> I think it's a great idea. Yeah. Uh, he's unless he's left already, which is a strong possibility. I think he's still uh, out in the lobby. Yeah, let's hope so. Uh, yeah, John Howard. Uh, he is our guest coming up in a second. Uh, bassist for Small Time Rock Stars, uh, musician here based in Nashville incredible wealth of both stories and knowledge uh has a lot of scoop on a lot of the guys he's played with between intermissions uh so you'll definitely want to stay tuned for that but first sean as always oh boy it's trivia time okay okay you ready for this one god i hope so all right well here we go there are four nashville predators 
that share the record for most assists in a single playoff season. Okay. And I'll give you a hint for one. Okay. One of them has been... Actually, I take the back. Two of them have been frequently discussed on this episode. Oh, okay. So, all right. So take a second to think. Okay. I'm going to take a second to think. Yes. And then good, because we got sponsors and we need to pay bills. So, yeah. yeah. I'm going to, I'll go get John. Okay. Good. Go do that. Okay. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back. Before the break, Sean, I asked you, there are four Predators who share the single playoff record for most assists in a playoff year. Okay. You tell me the four. Oh, boy. Um, So I had to do a lot of thinking about this over the break. Um, And I I don't know, like, you know, we could go back a long way and start trying to pull out some names. But I'm going to go with, you know, the deepest the team's ever gone, course is 2017 um so i'm gonna i'm gonna say on the right track that they're all from that season maybe i'm wrong i don't know but we're gonna go with philip forsberg that is incorrect oh geez all right you know what i don't know if it's not philip forsberg i don't know what it is giving up that easy man i'm i'm fine i give up we have victor arvidson that was my next guess matthias ekholm okay Ryan Johansson, which is wow. more impressive because he wound up missing the back. Yeah, yeah. And your boy, P.K. Subban. Pernell Carl. Okay, well, that, that makes sense. Yeah, so all four of them, all four of them had 10 assists back in the 2017 playoffs. So you wow. were right about them all being the same year. That's good. Well, it makes sense. It's the one really super deep run they had. So it would make sense they all came from that. I'm just really surprised it wasn't Forsberg. Uh, he had the most goals that year. He had nine, well, but not ten assists. There you go. There's the difference, right? Yeah. Well, Sean, uh, normally you and me blabber on about hockey, but we have a third with us today. We do. I'm very, very excited about this. You know, we talked. We kind of, we kind of dipped our toes in the water of this this subject last uh, episode of the podcast, and I, I think we were trying to tease without teasing too much that we are going to have a very special guest on with us next time. And he, of course, is, is with us now. And you probably know him best um, if you were a Nashville Predators fan as a member of the Small Time Rockstars. And he's with us here on this episode to talk not just about playing at the Predators games, but also about everything else that's going on in the life of John Howard, who's here with us, the bass player for Small Time Rockstars. Welcome, John. Hey, guys. Man, thrilled to be here. Hey, everybody. Uh, it's great to be on. Well, we're definitely glad to have you. Um, and I was, I'm was i a bit surprised, honestly, uh-huh. that uh, we we asked you earlier if you'd been on any other Predators-related podcast, and you never have. Is that right? No. This, this is my first one. So this is the inaugural uh, Predators-based podcast for me, and uh, thrilled that it's with you, Sean and Nick, you know, so... It's good. So let's rock it. 
yeah, I'm 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 glad you're here. And I just just on a on a side note, I just want to say, um, you know, I started talking to John via Twitter during the uh, beginning of last season <laughs> when there were no fans in the arena. Yet the small time rock stars carried on playing to a virtually empty arena between periods. And so there was no one really there to cheer. So everybody up on Media Row got really, really loud. So I don't know if that's the smallest show you've ever played, the smallest crowd you've ever played <laughs> for. But um, hopefully we made you feel feel like you were doing a good job because it still sounded good, even though it was empty. So, you know, what was cool about that is that uh, we could hear you guys. <laughs> we, um <laughs> It carries across the whole arena. So it, the support, we we really appreciated it. That that was fun, actually. Uh, you were, you know, texting requests via Twitter, yeah. and, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and we were trying to play, you know, or trying to play some. Some we could, some we couldn't. But um, you know what? That was pretty wild because um, the whole thought process is that they wanted to keep the game ops just the same. Right. You know, even yeah. though the fans weren't in there. Uh, because they didn't really know when, you know, fans would be back because this was in January and uh, they were thinking maybe February, late January, could be March, but they just wanted to have it, you know, just for the players, even though they're in the locker room, just have the whole feeling at least be the same game presentation. And uh, and it was actually really cool because, you know, you kind of felt like you were part of something uh, kind of special because nobody was, you know, I mean, there was nobody in the arena, you know, in Bridgestone, except for you guys, us, you know, and, uh, you know, families of the players and, and yeah. such. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, we just did our thing and gave it our all. And, and, you know, there was some good hockey going on. I still remember that Carolina game, uh, the second yeah. game yeah. Uh, where I thought we played really, really well, but it just, you know, Carolina's tough, you know, tough team. I, th I think the biggest thing is, and what that made me realize, even though I'd been covering the, the team at games before that, mm -hmm. was that it, it is just a giant, you know, the whole like operation from start to finish, just a giant show um, yes. that they're putting on, you know, and I think, you know, not just to keep things normal for the players, but also when they do finally start letting people come in, you don't want it to look like you just, <laughs> everybody just showed up that day, like, oh, I guess we had to come back to work. And, um, exactly. It was, it was really, really interesting just to kind of see that process without fans there and uh -huh. to see how everybody works behind the scenes. It's, it's really incredible. I, but I want, I want to ask you this, and I want to get started at the very beginning here, because, okay. um, you know, I know that you are a, a working musician. You know, uh -huh. you're not you're not just some guy who who has a, who has a boring office job nine to five and comes in and plays at the Predators games. You're you're a working touring musician. Um, and so. Like a lot of people in Nashville that do that, I have to assume that you are not from Nashville. Is that correct? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm actually a native Texan. Um, I grew up uh, on a literally on a cotton farm. Uh, out, the closest town, I mean, the big town was Plainview, but uh, our address was in Finney Switch, which was uh, Finney is a town and Finney Switch was named after the switch on the railroad tracks there. <laughs> <laughs> so it was pretty little, you know, but um then, you know, we migrated a bit. I lived in Nebraska some, Arizona some, as my dad moved around via agriculture and um, ended up uh, eventually in Austin and then, you know, saw that I needed to be in Nashville and made my way here. When, when What year did you leave Austin to come to Nashville? I left in uh, boom, dinosaur years, 1989. 
So I, it's interesting because, you know, you said you knew you needed to be in Nashville, but I have to think that even back then, Austin was a pretty well-known music town too, wasn't it? Yeah, Austin was great. I mean, it was extremely creative, but I, I really, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to play sessions and I wanted to uh, try and tour with, with somebody, you know, do some, you know, things where I'm not playing clubs, you know, on, um, you know, Sixth Street in Austin or whatnot, which is kind of Austin's version of Broadway. Um, and uh, Steve Mandel, who's the lead singer and guitar player in Small Time Rockstars, he and I had become acquainted uh, through, a, through a studio in Abilene, Texas, where I went to college. And uh, there was kind of like this little guru, you know, who ran the studio called Castle Sound, a guy named Michael Henry Martin, who uh, put us together and said, you know, you guys are about the same age. You, you know, I think... I think you guys need to know each other. And uh, so Steve and I had built a relationship mainly. Uh, I was in Austin. He was in Dallas. So mainly on the phone and just being friends. Uh, but he had gone to Nashville and gotten the gig uh, for Lee Greenwood and then became Lee's band leader. And uh, so I got a phone call out of the blue and it was from Steve. And I, I thought he was, you know, calling to say, hey, we're in town. You want to come see the show? And instead he said, um, hey, uh, Lee's bass player just gave notice uh, and uh, oh, <laughs> I wow. was just wondering if you're interested. And it so, was funny. It was funny because I had uh, my wife and I had discussed the fact that we needed to move and we were trying to decide whether to go to LA or Nashville. And uh, I had taken the only day job I've ever had. I was working at Dell computer, like in the late eighties where, you know, before it all exploded and uh, it, uh, I, Two weeks later, I was in Nashville touring with Lee Greenwood, you know, and it was just a whirlwind, you know. <laughs> I, I imagine the response of the people at Dell was a little bit. Um... <laughs> it was it was it was actually interesting because um, my direct boss, you know, I was doing, you know, Dell was all sales on the phone then. And uh, my direct boss was a former country radio DJ. And he was just like so happy for me and so supportive. But, you know, there were others, you know, who, you know, that worked in my group, you know, who were just, you know, wondering, is that the right move to make? Sure. Um, and, uh, and, and, and that's good. I mean, they're like saying, are you sure you're doing the right thing? You know, and, you know, we'll, you know, this is great, you know, if it's what you want, but, you know, it's, it's a tough, tough, tough business. Um, but, uh, you know, I came back, uh, I remember in 2000, uh, I was playing with Faith Hill and we did the first soul to soul tour and came back to Austin and played, uh, the drum, they call it at university of Texas. And a bunch of my Dell buddies came, you know, and they're all, you know, parking <laughs> in their Porsches and stuff <laughs> backstage, you know, because they all became quote unquote delionaires. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but, but no, it, it was, I have absolutely no, it's been the best thing I could ever have done. You know, I've just, I've lived my dreams here in Nashville. Yeah, so you've had like you've performed with some of the the biggest names out there, especially in the country world. So that makes me curious: how did uh, the role with the Predators first come about? Because you guys have been doing this for quite some time. Yes. Okay. It, it kind of organically evolved. Um, the The very first season, nineteen ninety eight, um, they had a house band and. Uh, the keyboard player I mentioned playing with Faith Hill, the keyboard player with Faith uh, and myself uh, were both alumni of that Lee Greenwood band. And we actually 
with the other guys in Small Time Rockstars. Another guy uh, formed Six Wire later on, but that's another story. But uh, that first season, they had a house band, but every now and then they needed a sub. The keyboard player's uh, fiance um, worked at Game Ops. I mean, her best friend worked Game Ops for the Preds. And so they had just said, hey, would you guys want to sub out if we needed you? And so we ended up playing a couple games um, the inaugural season. Then we did a handful of games over the next few years. Um, but in the uh, mid-2000s, uh, the band Small Time Rockstars, Steve, Chuck, and I were started a house gig at the Tin Roof. And uh, a lot of Predators players uh, and staff, you know, would hang out there. And we just kind of built a relationship. And we got asked to play some games, you know, you know, before the lockout season. I guess that would be 04. Um, and then after the lockout season, we just started – organically playing more and more games and uh so in now it's 2021 and uh here we are you know still still on the band stage and just still just thrilled to uh you know be a part of the you know the family and to have gotten to uh, be on that stage for so many great things you know like the uh you know the cup final run and uh you know you know witnessing that history you know and uh like you were talking about the question about the assist leaders. I had no idea Ekholm had 10 assists, yeah. you know, then. But uh, that has made us, I mean, massive fans, <laughs> you know. And uh, I, I'll tell you about it a little bit. But, I mean, lives have been changed by uh, our, you know, being on the band stage. And, and we just, we're so – we just feel so grateful. And it's really just one of those things, you know, just – when we're on the stage and, and playing those Preds games is kind of part of our DNA. So, okay. You're from Texas and yes. from very, very rural Texas. So, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I, I'm going to assume that your familiarity with the sport in general is probably fairly limited. Um, you know, probably all the way up until, you started playing at the games. Is that right? Or did you have some it's, kind it's of like a yes and a no, um, so when I was in seventh grade, we moved to Tempe, Arizona. Okay. And uh, I had a math teacher who actually was an official. And uh, he would get us, he taught an officiating class at this junior high I was at. And he could get us tickets to like, you know, all the Arizona State games. And then also uh, like the Phoenix Suns. But he, he said, you need to check this this out they had a was it WHA or WHL they had a team the uh, uh, Phoenix Roadrunners and uh, and so I went to a hockey game that he actually was officiating and sat like three rows off the glass you know and it was just stunning I mean just how fast it was and just they had this guy and I'm trying to remember his name he'd score like 40 goals a year uh, uh, Robbie Rob, Robbie Fichorek. I believe it was his name. Kind that's of, that's a trivia question. Former New Jersey Devils and Boston Bruins coach, by the way. Yes, I was going to say he's like coaching. I think he's still coaching now. and I, I still remember that. So I went to several games that, you know, over the course of living in Arizona and just thought that was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. But then, you know, it fades and, you know, you, you live your life. And then getting reintroduced to it with the predators, it didn't take long, you know, till the hook was set, you know, and, and that's it. I mean, um, we, we basically bleed gold. So, okay. 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 
it's very interesting to me because you said you moved to Nashville in 1989 yep. and the Predators didn't show up until 1998. Yes. So you have this big gap of time where there's there's no hockey. Clearly, you're, you're doing a lot of other things um, with music. Um, you know, hockey's new to Nashville when it shows up. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, probably you have a lot of people who had moved in from up north, uh, probably for Saturn and and, and yep. things like that, who became, you know, those are your first big fans because of yes. their familiarity with it. Um, when it shows up and you're hearing about it coming back, does it just ring all of those bells from your time in Arizona where you're like, oh, hey, I used to go to some games and they're yes. incredible. Were you, were you the crazy guy talking it up to everybody? Yeah, I was the annoying guy going, no, no, this is the greatest thing you've ever seen. You know, you're going to love it. But everybody, I mean, that's one of the coolest things is, you know, when we're playing on the band stage, um, you know, bringing friends and introducing them to hockey because it's just like this thing you want to share. And I know you guys have to feel it too because it's just such a great live sport. And uh, once once you've been there and seen it live, I mean, it becomes your favorite sport almost oh, quick, quickly. Uh, the time. Yeah. yeah. You know, the athleticism and the speed and the skill, it just um, – you know, there's, there's nothing like it, you know. I mean, and we're massive, like, Titans fans and, and such, too. You know, don't get me wrong, but, I mean, it's just the speed of the hockey. It just there's nothing like it. I, I grew up in California in, in the heyday of the San Francisco 49ers in the oh, Oakland wow. days. And, and that's what I grew up with. And I lo- I still love, you know, baseball. I still love football. But then I see hockey for the first time in Nashville. And I, immediately I'm like, oh, this is way better than everything else. It's constant action. You know, yes. there's never never a down moment, or even if there is, it's not for too long. And you get a nice long break between periods. Go to the bathroom, get a snack. You don't feel rushed. Listen it's, to the band. Listen, yeah. to <laughs> it's inc- it's incredible though. You know, uh, but there the good thing is whether you're in the bathroom or getting a snack. Guess what you can hear. Um. Hmm. Well, you can hear an intermission band. That's exactly right. And <laughs> Sometimes that's, small-time rock stars. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's the thing is, you know, I you you bring friends in, like you said, who haven't seen it, who don't know what it is, and and I think it's they very quickly get hooked. And I I think it's been interesting. I grew up on these other sports. My kids are growing up on hockey, and that's their. Uh-huh. You know, you said you bleed gold. My kids bleed have been bleeding gold since the day they were born. It seems like, and wow. we look back through pictures and. The kids are wearing Pred stuff from day one, whereas, you know, I'm growing up, I think I think it was when the Raiders were still in Oakland. Wow. Um, you know, <laughs> I had a lot of Oakland Raiders stuff on when uh-huh. I was a baby, but um, it's funny how that changes. Um, and sp- speaking of kids, speaking of children, you're talking about relationships and, and things like that. You, you said that the, a lot of lives have been changed through your involvement with the Predators. Why don't you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, well, I mean, when I said that it's in our DNA, I mean, that's that's literally almost. Uh, so about 10 years ago, and we're playing on the band stage, and uh, Steve, our guitar player, had uh, basically via the Jumbotron had met someone who was a season ticket holder, uh, Reagan Mandel now, Stephen Reagan. And uh, they met through seeing each other on the Jumbotron, met down at the band stage, hit it off. (laughs) And uh, I mean, it's just, they probably were both, I mean, I don't know, but they're probably like going, this is crazy, (laughs) you know, but when it's right, it's right, you know? And uh, 
they got married and they now have a um, beautiful, I believe, eight-year-old daughter named Wrigley, who I, you know, whose best friend is Nash, by the way. <laughs> and um, they, uh, I mean, it's just literally happened only because of the predators, you know, so it's literally in our DNA. That's, that's crazy. Uh, you know, I think you said via the jumbotron and you think about, you know, you, you go to a hockey, you're going to a hockey game and, and the next thing you know, you're telling people, well, I went, I'm a season ticket holder and I went to the hockey game and ah, well, I met a musician and I was going on dates. <laughs> it's not exactly what you were expecting, but you know, the greatest I mean, every- thing to come home and tell your mom, yeah, I was at the hockey game and met this musician I saw on the jumbotron. Oh boy. And yeah, now we're going on a date and they're going, you know, I don't know if that's the best idea. But having known Steve Mandel my, basically my whole life, I can say that, you you know, if you're going to meet a musician on the Jumbotron, that's one of the ones you want to meet, you know. Yeah. yeah. Imagine, imagine uh, having to break down that story line by line. Just, oh, yeah, none of you just listen on a Jumbotron. <laughs> now it's like, okay, okay, I'm not sure which part of that I need you to explain first, <laughs> but okay. Exactly. It's, and you know, and y'all remember the jumbotron was decidedly less high tech back then. <laughs> you know, um, it was a little grainier. <laughs> well, that could work in uh, could work in my favor for sure. Yeah, it would work in our favor. You know. <laughs> oh come on! Yeah. <laughs> Not your favor. I mean, yeah, speaking of mine, but well, give, but give I'm, yourself. I'm a happily married guy, so you know. You weren't worried about that at all. That's no. that's good. All yeah. right. But you Go know ahead, what? That, that is kind of one of the funny things, because when you're playing on the band stage, the thing you completely are all, always trying to avoid is glancing at yourself on the Jumbotron. Because, you know, the first song, they usually show the band, then they cut to, you know, the commercials and stuff on the second song, you know, unless we have a guest artist with us. And so it's always like, do not look at the Jumbotron. You're like trying to, you know, sing and play. And, and uh, the third voice is going, do not look at the Jumbotron. <laughs> I'm sorry, at Fang Vision. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or Jeff, as they like to call it on yes. the Twitter. Don't look at Jeff. Um, all right. Quick, the giant cookie. <laughs> yes, the giant cookie. We all love the giant cookie. <laughs> now, um, you mentioned having a special guest with the band. And I've been to a lot of games and I've seen a lot of people up there with you guys. Can mm-hmm. you kind of give us a rundown of some of the names you played with? And then oh, wow. maybe after you do that, we'll kind of pick out some of the, you know, some, some uh, superlatives out of that group. Okay. Let me kind of think some of the people that we've had on the band stage, obviously Vince Gill, you know, will be first season ticket holder sits down right on the glass, right in front of us. Uh, Carrie Underwood, Alice Cooper, Keith Urban, uh, Tommy Shaw from Sticks, uh, Chris Isaac, uh, let me think, uh, the Brothers Osborne, Ben Rector, Charlie Daniels, Felix Cavalieri of the Rascals. Um, oh, wow. Uh, John Elefante from Kansas. Um, Emerson Hart, season ticket holder, lead singer for Tonic, uh, Winona. Lee Greenwood has been Phil Vassar. Um we just had Ed Roland from Collective Soul. Yes, that uh, was a good which one. Which was so cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And this is the first time we'd play with Ed. And actually, we're about to do a show with Ed here uh, in a couple of weeks out in Phoenix uh, for Alice Cooper's Christmas pudding uh, fundraiser. But anyway, back to uh, we had uh, Scott Stamp from Creed uh, at the uh, final playoff game last year. Uh, yes. Yeah. Let's. I mean, uh, Taylor Hicks. Uh, 
Michael W. Smith got up and wanted to sing 80s pop songs, which was a blast. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, there's there's more and more. I mean, uh, do you, John you have Hyatt a, was a season ticket holder. John Hyatt, I remember playing with us. Do you have a list somewhere where you just you go home at the end of the end of the night and just add another name to the list every time you play? I feel like I would do that. Like, should should I answer the truth? <laughs> the truth is yes. Yeah, okay. I keep a list of like the artists that I played with, uh, kind of separate from uh, people that I've actually toured in their touring band, and then people that I've done shows with, or you know, recorded with, or you know, done things, or or the Preds band stage. I I have a list which uh, I have on my MacBook, but I'm not on my MacBook now. <laughs> now I gotta ask because you've been you've played you know, with Lee Greenwood and Faith Hill before this, obviously, but were there any people like on the list that even you got a little starstruck playing with? Like, did you ever look over and it's like, Oh my God, Alice Cooper is over. Oh, here. I do. I do all the time. I mean, cause I mean, it's always a pinch yourself moment, you know, uh, like, okay. So talking about like on the band stage, uh, the time we had Alice Cooper, um, that was probably the first really big moment where they had to have security, you know, block, you know, that, uh, you know, can you come in from the concourse in between uh, one, sections 109, 110 that leads to the stairs down to the band stage? Um, they kind of had to block that off because it was a thing, you know, in the crowd. And here's Vince Gill up there and Alice Cooper and us. And it, it was just, and I'm just looking at myself going, that's Alice Cooper. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and now we've 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 been fortunate enough to build a relationship, and we've played with them, you know, many times. And uh, Six Wire, which is kind of the small time rock stars, are basically like a subset of Six Wire, our other band, um, have become the house band for his uh, Christmas pudding event every year, which is coming up. Um, but I mean, it all started like on that band stage, and uh, and he's like a massive hockey fan too. Uh, he's you know, season ticket holder for the Coyotes. Uh, but he grew up a Red Wings fan, obviously. He was yeah. from Detroit. And the game that he sang at was a Red Wings game, you know. So he was like, <laughs> I do not have my Red Wings jersey on underneath. I do not. I promised them I wouldn't. But, we, you know, we never knew if he was saying that or if he was, like, trying to just tell us he didn't when he actually did. But, man, he loved it, too. Yeah. He was like, this game experience is amazing. Uh, I, and I do hear that he's a great guy too. And I kind of know this because there is a personal story. Uh, so oh. my, my mom is a musician from Detroit and, you know, she grew up in like the late sixties, early seventies, that whole scene. And uh, she told me it was just like, yeah, one of her like bandmates that she was playing with is just like, Oh yeah, there's just like some house party uh, that we're, that we're going to go to on all this um, and then they just walk up to this door, like in the middle of, uh, I can't remember which Detroit suburb it was. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they just knocked on the door and there's Alice Cooper standing there. Wow. And he's like, oh yeah, come on in guys. She said, he's like the nicest musician he's ever, she's ever met. So he yeah. could, yeah, he's definitely in that class. Um, and we do a lot of, uh, like with six wire, we do a lot of charity work and St. Jude is really dear to our heart. Um, you know, childhood cancer and we, we do an event out in uh, Palm Desert every year for the uh, actor Patrick Warburton, who there's a hockey tie in there, because if you remember Seinfeld, he was the guy who painted, you know, face painted devils. Yeah. <laughs> devils! 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 Yeah. And uh, 
and actually he's gone back, you know, to devil's games and he will, you know, reenact, you know, being putty and face painting <laughs> and, you know, got to support the team. Um, but uh, he has a, a big music event uh, every sp- spring. Um, and Six Wire is the band for that. And we back up in Alice Cooper was the first time we did that 10 years ago uh, was like the first guy there. And uh, literally he will be there every every year that he's available just you know what can i do you know and just that kind of thing uh, just you know what one thing i've noticed like about being in the music business is that it makes you more of what you already are once you're successful so these people that are giving and want to do things to help you know uh, they they are enabled to be able to do that. Uh, just like uh, this weekend, we have a, a big thing coming up where uh, Scott Hamilton Cares, his foundation is doing the ice show at Bridgestone Arena where um, he has all his like world champion skater friends and they're going to be doing routines to live music. And the stage is set up literally right on the ice. And uh, it's just like this music skating event. And uh, Scott, you know, is enabled, you know, he's able to do things like this, you know, because he's a cancer survivor and it just makes him want to help people survive too. And, uh, and it's just, we have the best seats in the house because we're on the band stage. It's right there on the ice and they're skating like right in front of you. It just, it's captivating. And you see, uh, like when we see these hockey players and you see how great of skaters they are and how great athletes. And then you see this, you know, same ice, different kind of skates, but you see, you know, a different thing, but what great athletes they are too. Um, and somebody like Scott Hamilton, I mean, gold medalist is just, and massive Preds fan season ticket holder as well, you know, um, just see these people doing good things. And we're just thrilled to, you know, just play a small part, uh, you know, to help out. Yeah. And I think too, you know, you mentioned having the best seats in the house and, and getting to experience this and, and I, you know, on a side note, I'm a, I'm a high school English teacher as well. Okay. And, you know, as someone who teaches kids about writing all day, it's something I've always tried to explain was like, you know, good writing can open a lot of doors, bad writing can close a lot of doors you never knew were open. And I think it's really been effective for me to say, look, because of my writing, I'm now covering Predators games. I'm doing wow. this stuff. I mean, you think, you know, with, with music and being a musician, it's taken you to some pretty interesting places too. And, um, I think it's it's interesting that you can kind of have that same message when you talk to people about, you know, you know, I and it's something you've had to work hard and dedicate yourself mm-hmm. to and take a lot of risks with in order to get yeah. there. But mm-hmm. when you do that, it'll it can pay off. And I, I think it's it's, t- again, taking you to some really interesting places um, where I'm sure that you never thought you would go. Is that oh, do you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, I never thought my wildest dreams I'd like go to Donetsk, Ukraine or Jakarta, Indonesia, you know, or Hong Kong and, and play shows, Taipei, Taiwan, you know, um, just, you know, South America, you know, music has taken me all over the world. And uh, it just, I so fortunate, so, so blessed to do this. But you know what, it, it doesn't happen by accident. Um, Telling you the story earlier about the guru in Abilene, Texas, he, he had a mantra that he would tell me, he would just say, John, if you take care of the music, it will take care of you. Mm. And uh, I've been successfully able to pay my mortgage <laughs> since I've been in Nashville. <laughs> uh, 
uh, with a bass guitar and tell me how crazy that is. <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> the, I'm, you yeah. know, I'm a failed bass guitarist, essentially, if you really want to. Oh, really that's awesome. Out there. You know, I, we'll I started. We'll have to talk bass. Yeah. Well, I mean, you don't want to, I mean, we may not be able to get too deep there on it, but uh, you know, I, I started playing in high school because uh, my friends wanted to start a band and they didn't uh-huh. have a bass player. And um, that wound up with me playing bass with a band in college. And um, that led me um, absolutely nowhere because we, <laughs> um, oh, it's we because we're bass players that that's usually well, that's I, where I the always, road goes. Yeah, I, I really and one of my favorite things was when we first started the band in college, um, the guy that we had singing at the time made a comment. And I think he may have been mildly intoxicated when he said this. But he <laughs> okay. said, he said, you know, Sean, he's like a good singer. <sighs> their names will last forever, but a bass player, they're a dime a dozen. And I was Ah. like, and I I said at that moment, I said, I'm going to last longer in this band than this guy. And he was gone in like three months. Oh, And and I was with the band the entire time. I was really proud of that moment. And we actually used to joke around about it and say things to each other. Like, you know, good singer's name will live forever. (laughs) Um, and he wasn't with the band anymore. So I feel like I won that. But then, of you course, you did I, win that. Yeah. And, and I, I graduated. And then, you know, it's a bass player without a band is, is kind of a sad thing, man. <laughs> it's like, it's like bass solo. Everybody run. Yeah. <laughs> unless, unless you're Les Claypool or something. I don't know. Yeah. That anybody's exactly. exactly. That was, a, I did not expect a Les Claypool reference. So very oh, nice. Very nice. Oh, yeah. By the way, if, so, if somebody ever pulls that, you know, stunt on you and the lead singer lasts forever. You just, you, you just look at him and go, Paul McCartney. Bingo. <laughs> you know? There you go. That's exactly. Enough said, yep. but, but literally we bass players were kind of like the catfish of the band, you know, we're kind of like swimming around the bottom, you know, Hey, there's my Preds tie in, you know, the catfish um, kind of swimming around the bottom, you know, eating the spare tires up, up the floor <laughs> of the river, you know, and every now and then you see us come up for air, you know, and we take our little moment and then we're back down underneath, you know? Yeah. There you go. Why, why bass? What got you to play the bass? Did you learn to play other instruments first or was no, bass I, like? I started on bass. I mean, honestly, exactly the same reason you did. Um, my brother was a drummer, uh, still is. And he actually, he went out to LA and he uh, is a post-production audio engineer and has just done great. But, and he still beats the skins. Um, but uh, he got a drum set like in sixth grade. And, uh, so it's, it was a natural for me to start playing bass. And then he joined a band. They didn't have a bass player. And I ended up playing bass with them. And uh, then went back and learned how to play guitar and back and learned how to play uh, some piano and uh, not very well. And uh, learned. Uh, then I started playing like some brass instruments like trombone, which was a just a blessing because I uh, learned how to read music, learned how to read bass clef, which applied uh, which in my 30 years in Nashville, I've maybe read, you know, <laughs> notes maybe once a year, you know, but every now and then I'll have a, be on a recording session and be playing like a swing tune or a jazz tune and they'll sit, you know, what we call dots and sticks uh, down in front of you. And I'm glad I can still kind of read it. <laughs> You're talking about musical notes, right? Yeah, That's notes, what you <laughs> notes are dots. They're dots and sticks. You know? <laughs> that, that should give you should give you an indication of my, yeah. 
<laughs> bass well, playing I mean, because, abilities. Because in Nashville, you know, we write our charts with numbers. And uh, sometimes when we're uh, at a game, if you, you know, I don't know how much leeway you have, you come down and I'll show you like the number system that we write our charts with um, on our little iPads on the mic stands down on the band stage because we take a song and uh, like if it, the song's in the key of C, that that becomes the one or, you know, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, the notes of the scale. I um, mean, you just sign a number to them. So like the C is the one, the F would be the four and the G would be the five and so on and so forth. And you write a bunch of numbers and <laughs> it's like, it's beautiful once you, and it's actually not hard to figure out, but it does take a little getting used to, but it's this incredible shorthand that developed uh, in the studios over on Music Row in the 50s. Um, hmm. It's just just crazy, you know, and, and you write these songs out and then suddenly you have a song's chart and it's, you know, independent of the key of the song. So if the singer's like, ah, oh, my voice is a little rough, I need to drop the keys. Well, same chart works, you know. Oh, that does make sense. Yeah, yeah. It's Look really good. The one is, you know, instead of C, the one is B flat now, you know. That's that kind that's of genius. I mean, so that, it that, is. It, it's brilliant, you know. That that came out of Nashville. Yeah, came out of Nashville. Came out of oh, Music wow. Row in the 50s. Look at that. Bet nobody expected to learn that today yeah, on the Nashville podcast. Nashville number system. Yeah. I like that. And John, so when we, we have these guest artists down on the band stage, you know, like we were talking about, uh, you know, we'll have to learn their songs. Like a lot of times we're learning them that afternoon, you know, because they there's a lot of communication issues or they won't know what songs are going to play or something or they'll change at the last minute. So you're sitting there writing a chart, you know, that day and, you know, kind of reading it at soundcheck, you know, and that's not always I don't mean, but, you know, but we can do that. You know, yeah. it's it's kind of become what we do. It makes so, a lot of sense. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Well, I, I, you know, we're we are unfortunately running running low on time, and I don't want to uh, waste this opportunity. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I have the chance to ask you this question, and okay. Um, so I'm going to ask you this, and you know, you you named a lot of people that you have played with. Mm-hmm. Um. And of course, in on the last podcast, we were talking about our ideal songs we'd like to hear uh, during intermission. I think that was a very spirited discussion. Um, yes, yeah, so but... you stumped the band. Thanks a lot. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> no, actually, actually, just jumping in here on, on that particular song you requested, it's, it's more the vocal part. You'll just tear your vocal cords up. You sing that, and it's like David Lee Roth, I mean, just back in his heyday man he could just shred that stuff and it's so high oh yeah you know that's really the tough part i mean the the, the drum part you know he's talking about hot for teacher the drum part you yes. know is is so great you know love too, it but yeah now now you know why i want to hear hot for teacher too so yes um, <laughs> i think that was i think we i'd requested that when it was the uh, teacher appreciation item like you guys yeah. gonna play hot for teacher You're like, that's <laughs> not part of our it's not part of our set list. I'm yeah, really and that's sorry. one of those not last minute writing a chart and playing it on yeah, the band stage you gotta, songs. You got to work that one up. Yeah. Um, well, if you if you need somebody who's not afraid to shred their vocals up, I mean, just just let me know if I'm at there the you game. Go. It wouldn't bother me. I know all the words, and it'll sound really bad. But the next day, <laughs> it's, it's going to be fine. Okay. So here's my question. Here's my question. Okay. Number one, which artist that you haven't worked with? would you like to have on the band stage and which song would you like to play with them? Oh, wow. That, that's going to be, uh, 
That's that's a tough one. Uh, which artist that I haven't worked with? Yeah. What I want on the band stage. I'm trying to think what would be a Predators tie-in on that. Hey, well, you know what? I can think of an obvious one right away. I mean, let's have Garth. <laughs> okay. He sold out Bridgestone, what, eight nights in a row or something? Um, a lot. And uh, I don't think you would see anybody leaving their seats at intermission for that one. No. No. And he's been in the building. You know, we've asked him, and it's just, it's a that's a tough thing for somebody like that to do, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, and, uh, God, what song? Um, there's so many. I, I'm going to have to think on that one. Uh, let's say that Pekka. The answer is always Pekka. We'll just go with that. <laughs> okay. That's uh, actually a pretty good answer. Greatest predator, Pekka. <laughs> you know, let's, um, I'm thinking I, I, on that one if you have any more questions. Okay. Think on it. Think on it for a second. Um, let, let me ask you this. Who, because, because we're bass players, who is your bass hero? Oh, there's too many to name. I mean, we already named one of them was Paul McCartney, um, James Jamerson, speaking about Motown, um, a guy from England in a band called Level 42 named Mark King just changed my life in the mid 80s. Um, you'll hear us play a few Level 42 songs every now and then, uh, something about you or something like that. And um, gosh, uh, let's, you know, people like, uh, Sting and Flea and uh, even Les Claypool and uh, yeah. then the great session guys here in town, you know, just you, there's so many that just uh, like Mike Chapman or, you know, the guy, uh, oh, guy, big hero of mine was Jerry Sheff, who uh, played with Elvis for all these years. And yes. his son, Jason, uh, then is like this ridiculous bass player that we get to work with. And he sang lead for Chicago for a bunch of years. I mean, there's literally Carol Kay out in LA. Um, and I'm forgetting like most of them just cause I'm having to think of it on the spot, but there are just so many great players uh, that you take just a little piece of, you know, you hear um, songs like uh, when I was a kid, you know, and here and, uh, Mel Schachner was a bass player for Grand Funk and, you know, he would Ooh, play yeah. these like really cool, you know, blues bass lines and uh, just, and then I got to meet him. Uh, they were rehearsing at Soundcheck and I was there rehearsing for something. I popped my head in and there's Grand Funk, you know, and I was just telling him, man, just your bass lines back in, you know, the seventies, they were so great, you know, and, and he was just, just so humbled by that. And it was just, you know, I've been really fortunate when I've met my heroes that they turned out to be just the kind of people you hope they would be. So that leaves us with your chance to answer that question about who, who you'd want to play with and which song. And of course you said Garth, but which, which song would you want to play with? Play with Garth. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, Garth, because it would just be the biggest thing imaginable, you know, Garth Brooks on the band stage. But, um, I mean, for me, uh, you would take one of my favorite bands, like A Crowded House, and do, um, you know, Don't Dream It's Over, you know, just something oh, yeah. like that. But uh, that wouldn't, you know, for the mass moment, you, you need, you know, somebody like a Garth or bring his wife, Tricia, or, I mean, one of the things is like, you know, having Keith Urban on there, um, or when we had 
you know, Vince down and he goes, Hey, Carrie Underwood, come on out. And then, you know, we did Cowboy Casanova with Carrie. I mean, those, those are pretty dramatic moments, you know? Oh yeah. Um, so the, it just, you know, any moment, I mean, honestly, I'm a massive Chris Isaac fan and Steve, our guitar player, even more and having Chris down there, you know, on the band stage, uh, during the, you know, 2017 cup run was really incredible or Tommy Shaw. Yeah. Um, so we've got to live some of those dreams. Um, and, but there's more, so we'll have to work on that, you know, on that Garth thing. Well, you know, I, here's the thing. Ho- hopefully you guys get to keep doing this for a long time yeah. because I, I certainly enjoy it every time you're out there. And, uh, you know, I am of course there a lot, uh, for yes. a variety of reasons, but, um, even when I'm not up in the, uh, up in media row, I'm usually at the games anyway. So, um, I guess we, uh, we're going to have to, uh, send you on your way, John. And I, <laughs> Oh. I appreciate I appreciate you taking the time to come and talk with us today. I, I hope um, I hope that for everybody listening, they have they have enjoyed hearing from you. I know I certainly have. Um, and if you know, anytime I get to talk to a bass player that is, uh, gosh, successful, it's it's just really nice because it it reminds me that you know um, I didn't make it, but other people did, and that's awesome. And I'm I'm really <laughs> really happy for you that that you're your musical career has worked out the way it has. And I, I, I'm glad I get to share a little part of that with you um, at the Predators games. So, Oh man, thank you. Yeah. You need to come down to the band stage and I'll show you those number systems. <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll be there. Don't worry. You know, you know, I'll show you a little, have you ever played a five string before? Uh, no, uh, anything beyond four strings, I get confused and a little bit scared. Oh, well, you need to at least try it out. So you have the open invitation to come, you know, down there and check out one of the, the fives, which I usually have down there. So okay, consider I'll, yourself. And, uh, I will take you up on it. Guys, it's been an honor. Thank you so much. I, I, I appreciate you having me on. I hope you're able to edit down <laughs> some good content because I will talk. Oh, uh, I, I think this is all going up as is. Yeah. Uh, these stories have been great. And, oh, yeah. Uh, John, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, It's always kind of cool to meet the people that are behind Smashville a little bit. You know, we've seen your work for many, many years, but maybe just didn't get to know the person behind it. So we're so happy you came on. Oh, thanks, Nick. Oh, man. Guys, thanks so much. I I appreciate it. And uh, keep keep knocking those podcasts out of the park because I I rely on them to get through my workouts in the morning. Hey, (laughs) we'll we'll do our best. Yeah. yeah, I I mean, doing that, doing a daily five days a week is just, man, I tell you what. But everybody, you know, the you know, you got to check out the, obviously the OTF one and the locked on one. They're they're both great. Exactly. So you're, you're doing my promos for me, right? Now. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, say more nice things about us if you can. That's <laughs> These guys are the two most handsome guys in hockey media. <laughs> That, that's going on our cold open. All right. That's, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Sean, I got to ask, who's your dream collaboration with? Well, what do you mean? I mean, like Alice Cooper, Faith Hill, Lee Greenwood. <sighs> oh, like, if you, like um, if you could jump in and perform with one person on that Predators band stage. I don't know. I, I'd have to say, you know, can you can you bring back people? who are no longer with us. I don't have that technology, but I'm sure you probably could maybe. 
No, I, it's, that's not fair to do that. We can't, we can't uh, bend the laws of life and death. That's, that's you know, we, we can't play God. Yeah. So this, I say this is a this is a dark roundabout to get to the answer. Yeah. To let's, question, by the way. Okay. Let's let's uh, let's think here. Um, if I had to choose someone, someone who is still with us, um, I would really like to play with Willie Nelson. Oh. That Just a, because that's a great pick. That'd be fun. He's a legend. Yeah. Absolute uh, legend. Yeah. Can you uh, can you imagine Willie at that band stage between intermission? Oh man, I think he'd be. You know what song we'd play? We'd play Whiskey River. Okay, I can see that. Yeah. No, but he'd yeah. come over and he'd be like, he'd he'd ask me to sing with him too. He'd like he'd kind of come over and be like, hey, let's sing this one together, and I'd be like, okay, Willie. Yeah. I mean, you're on stage, so I assume that's part of the performance. Yeah, I'd I'd cheer you on as I got my funnel cake. Yeah. I think so. I think that would be, it'd be, what about you? Who would you perform with? Oh, okay. Anybody? Well, wait, what instrument would you be playing? Uh, I have no musical talent whatsoever. So you'd just be singing then? Uh, what are you saying about singers? Well, no, I'm saying if you can't play an instrument, yeah. like you could, you can use your voice. Like you don't even have yeah. an instrument to play, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you've got your voice. It's an instrument. Yeah, I'll do, ba- I'll do backing vocals or like, yeah. Or pitch perfect uh, beatboxes. Um, let's see who else. Uh, man, you know, you know, somebody for real who I would love to see uh, perform during intermission at Bridgestone. Uh, and it makes sense because she lives here. Lizzie Hale. Oh yeah. Hey, okay. A, a she can shred the hell out of a guitar. She uh, sure can. B, B her voice is like killer uh so yeah i'm kind of i'm kind of hoping like maybe if the preds get to the playoffs you know how we always bring in the uh like the special anthem guests how about lizzie hale on a guitar doing star spangled banner oh that would be sweet man i I love a good metal star spangled banner um i you know what i can't believe i didn't bring this up but i used to play the star spangled banner on my bass Oh, okay. Yeah, I would stand on top of my amp, and I had an American flag rolled up on the back of the neck of my on my bass. Before I started, I would drop it; it would unroll, and that's why I had to stand on the amp so it didn't touch the ground. And I would play with the flag kind of flying from my bass guitar. And I bet it didn't look as cool as I thought it did, but it still seems pretty cool when you think about it. That does sound badass. Uh, can I change my answer to uh, Sean Smith then? No, in, no in- I'm a with with crazy kyle on keyboards or something like that well maybe i guess i guess we can work something this, out. this is the collaboration that would get john to quit music altogether <laughs> like i gotta get out of here he's like terrible screw. all right back back to uh back to selling <laughs> computers uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> just no just no faith in the future of the industry after playing with us yeah, a billionaire oh. again that would be pretty cool you know what we are good at though we are good at covering hockey. Uh, so, Sean, why don't you tell the people where they can find your work? Oh, good gracious. Of course. Of course, you can find me at on, on thefourcheck.com, of course, um, and on Twitter at SESOTF. You can also catch me on the On the Preds podcast with Alex Doherty of A to Z Sports, as well as on Renegades of Puck TV with Crazy Charlie and the rest of the Renegades of Puck, which is on YouTube. 
What Man. about you, Nick? Where can the good people find you? Uh, like you, you can find my work at onthefourcheck.com. Um, you can also hear me and my good friend Ann Kimmel every morning on the Lockdown Predators podcast. Uh, in fact, uh, I've had the day off today because we chit-chatted with some Columbus Blue Jackets crew. So, oh. hey, good good for that. Um, and also, you can find me on the Twitter sphere at underscore NS Morgan. If there's anything you ever want us to talk about on the show, let us know. We'll be happy to do it. Yeah, and, and, and let us know that you're listening. Just send something out and be like, hey, really appreciate the show. Really liked it when you talked about this, or you sound like an idiot when you talked about that, or I really disagree with Nick because, or Sean's awesome and he's always right. Just, you know, whatever you feel. Is that the stuff that your wife just spams us with? <laughs> Sean no, is awesome. I love that no. Sean guy. She'd, she'd disagree. It'd be the other. She's like, gosh, that whenever that Sean talks, it's just garbage. That Nick, he knows what's up. Damn right. I always do. <laughs> well, that's it for us. Uh, same time next week. Uh, big, big uh, stretch of games for the Nashville Predators. Probably we'll be able to find out a little bit more about the direction of the team here based on what happens in the next week or so. So stay tuned for that. Thank you for listening, everybody. Like us, share, subscribe, all that good stuff. It helps us out. Helps us produce more content. Have a good week, everybody.